But surely God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Surely the Lord is good and his unfailing love lasts forever. And his goodness and kindness is for those who keep asking and processing questions, to those whose hearts are pure, to those who are steadfast and faithful to him. But, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Psalm 73, a psalm to Asaph, and a fascinating psalm too, if you've ever read through them, uh, and we're going to actually, we're gonna jump into a psalm series in the summer. Um, but for now, I love those two opening verses of Psalm 73. Surely the Lord is good. Surely the Lord is good to those who put their trust in him. But, but, as for me, I found my feet were slipping, that I almost fell completely off. The psalmist asks himself, why do I find myself losing this way? I mean, surely God is good. He's to be trusted and not doubted. And yet I still doubt. I still wrestle with my faith. I wrestle with the action or inaction of people who are supposed to be trustworthy around me, of a world that seems to be not really being guided by love, guided by the hand of God. How do we wrestle with those things? What do we do when those questions get in the way? when we encounter mystery, when we experience the silence of God, or when we can't um, hear or sense or feel the presence of God because pain is so deeply in the way. I mean, surely the Lord is good, but. Well, welcome to our new and recurring series, Good News, where our local sites and pastors are sharing some of their own journeys across all of our sites and you in the live stream are here with me and then next week with Haley and then back with me the week after. And we're talking about like faith that is rooted and then asking and seeking and knocking. And then today, uh, what better way to open up our time of good news with um, the good news about doubt. Now stay with me, the good news about doubt, because it is, it is. Uh, the witness of scripture, the witness of the narrative of the Bible is not just like linear, um, it starts good, it stays good, it ends good. There's this ebb and flow that scripture writers record, um, illuminated by the spirit of the pain of the human experience, but the faithfulness of God and the trustworthiness of Jesus. And so if you're tuning in, if you're there on the live stream today, or you're listening uh, sometime later, if you are a doubter, somebody who is wrestling right now, or who has wrestled in the past, this sermon is for you. If you're investigating faith, if you're kicking tires around, like what does it mean to have a relationship with this God of the cosmos? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Like how does that work? If that's you, this sermon is for you. And if you are rock solid in your faith in Jesus, you believed in Jesus at an early or middle or elderly age, and you're just like, oh, surely the Lord is good. I love following Jesus and want to tell as many people as possible. If that's you, this sermon is for you. Now, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, uh, verses 24 to 29, and you'll see it there uh, on the slide. This is such an interesting text that many of us are familiar with. It's the post-resurrection account of Jesus appearing to Mary uh, and the disciples in the upper room and then appearing again. In the first version, um, somebody's missing, Thomas. 
good old Thomas Didymus the twin is missing from the first uh, appearance and then he appears in the second. Okay, let's just jump right in because it's a really, really interesting text and I think there's so much for us to learn. Okay, I'm gonna start in actually verse 19, John 20 verse 19, but we're gonna go all the way to verse 29. So if you wanna open up your Bibles, if you have it there with you, a physical Bible, or if you have your phone there, or if you just wanna open up a different tab wherever you're watching from a computer or an iPad or some sort of device, go to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then fast forward to the chapter 20 and it's near the end. All right, so when therefore it was early evening of the first day of the Sabbath week, okay, pay attention there, and where the disciples were, the doors had been sealed for fear of the religious leaders. But Jesus came and he stood in the middle of them And he says to them, peace to you. And saying this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Oh, man. Thus on seeing the Lord, the disciples were overjoyed. So Jesus again said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I will also send you. And saying this, he breathed upon them. And he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you let go, they are let go. Those you hold fast, they have been, been held fast. But, but one of the 12, Thomas, which meant twin, was not with them when Jesus came close. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. They're telling Thomas this. We have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. The Greek rendering is like, it's it's a repeated phrase. We've seen him. We've seen him. We've seen him. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas did, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will most certainly not have faith. The word, word faith means like trusting, trusting in relationship. I will not have any faithing to do with this. And so eight days later, his disciples were again inside, locked in the room and Thomas with them, the doors being sealed. And Jesus comes and stands in their midst again and says, peace to you. And then he turns and says to Thomas, bring your finger here. Look at my hands. Bring your hand and put it in my side and cease to be faithless but be faithful instead. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says to him, to Thomas, you have faith because you've seen me. How blissful for those who do not see me, but still have faith. Okay, wow. Wow, what a text. And it's one that speaks to me so deeply and probably to some of you if you've read it or, or heard it before. Um, okay, so there's a couple things going on here. Remember, uh, Jesus has been teaching like everyone. So he is this like mishmash of teacher, trainer, question asker, traveler, healer. He's actually breaking these religious mode, modes of what like a rabbi typically was. A rabbi typically gathered his own disciples, his Talmudid, uh, and taught them a, a way of interpreting scripture and Torah and a way of interpreting and understanding God that was relative to um, this individual person. And Jesus just like snaps open those lids. Certainly he, he, he does that, but he's also teaching to the poor, to the Gentile, to the outsiders, and then touch and healing them. So the fact that Jesus engages the senses with Thomas is not a surprise. He's been leading that way, leading up to um, certainly his death and resurrection. It's been a hallmark of his ministry, not just being a teacher, not just being one who speaks 
speaks the words of truth, who helps people to understand by hearing the words of God, but actually by like training, by walking with, by eating with, by healing, by asking questions, by traveling with. And so Jesus is already, uh, something is afoot here. Uh, and it's no surprise the crescendo that we reach in the end of the chapter here. Now, it's also interesting where we've come from. And so again, this is um, like after Jesus' resurrection, the, the appearance with Thomas and the disciples in the upper room and Mary in the garden. But if you back up a little bit uh, before, and I know that I've missed this in the past, we, we have a really strange interchange between Jesus and Caiaphas. And it, it leans into this story. It sets up why Jesus chose to say what he said do what he did in this upper room and how the disciples respond. Now, if you don't know who Caiaphas is, Caiaphas is the high priest. He's the high priest. And if you back up to John chapter um, 18, we see that Jesus goes through these different iterations of trial and terror of like just the, the upsettingness of religion uh, and politics when they get in the way of this movement, this kingdom of God, which is a whole nother sermon. But Caiaphas is, is the high priest. So if you remember from our Leviticus series, the high priest was, was the person in charge, the, the priest that brokered your relationship with the divine, uh, that set the tone and the rules and reminded you how you interacted with the living God. Uh, Caiaphas was permitted to go into the holiest of holies. Once a year, he would enter the holy of holies to, uh, to offer sacrifices to Yahweh. And he also oversaw, um, uh, history shows us, uh, some scholarly records show us that he oversaw the temple treasury. So he's in charge of the relationship with God, he's in charge of the money of God, and he's char in charge of the people of God. He also controlled the temple police, lower ranking priests and attendants. He ruled over the Sanhedrin, and he did this for almost two decades, which shows us that the Romans in particular, the military power in charge at the time, who appointed the priests to uh, broker the relationship between uh, the Jewish people, were absolutely pleased with his service. So you are seeing a religious person in power. After the Roman governor, Caiaphas was the most important and powerful person, the most important and powerful leader in all of Judea. Now, in John 18, we read that as Jesus' trial kind of rolls on, he actually deals with Annas uh, first, and then uh, later in John chapter 18, it's, it's like a, it's a quick paragraph where Caiaphas hears about, has a trial with Jesus. John's gospel records that it ends very quickly in the morning. And Caiaphas says this one thing that's really haunting as it relates to Jesus and Jesus' impending death. It's better that one man should die for the people. It's better that just this guy should just die. So when we talk about doubt, this is not a person to get. I mean, think about uh, John is doing something here. It's such a fascinating example of like brilliant writing, but getting to the heart of the issue. Now remember, uh, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus uh, in Hebrews chapter four, um, our great high priest, our great high priest. And Jesus uh, eliminates the separation between us and God. And here in this quick trial, early in the morning, you see the high priest over the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, with the high priest of the cosmos, Jesus, standing together. And we don't read any interaction, any discourse, any agree, disagree, any processing of faithing, relationshiping together. All we read that Caiaphas is like, no, nope, this is not the way that it works. 
This cannot be true. It will not be true. To death with the whole thing. There's no relational discourse. There's, there's just trial, black, white, and then death. And this is what the religious mind tends to do unchecked. It tends to just become more entrenched in our ideologies to be like, this is the way I was taught it. I believe it. That settles it. Let's do it. No more discussion over it. It shuts down and shuts off. This isn't how it should be and therefore cannot be. You've got Jesus, the great high priest of the cosmos, under the boot, the thumb, the rule of Caiaphas, the high priest of uh, Judea, and it ends in death. This can't be how it is. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And Caiaphas, with the savior of the world in front of him, the Messiah, the Messiah, the provider, the anointed one, right in front of him, Caiaphas has nothing to do with it. It's just like, nope. In a sense, I'm an atheist. I do not believe this person is who he says he is. It's better that one man should die for the sake of the people. We've got to keep this thing right. This guy's getting in the way. Awful, awful. And thank God the story doesn't end there. Uh, now to Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Thomas the twin. Thomas, one of the earliest disciples that Jesus calls to come and follow him. A rabbi calling a disciple says, come and follow me, come and follow me. You'll follow me, learn how to do this. Um, and with Thomas, we actually see a bit of this too. By the end, Thomas is like, I do not believe. I will not believe unless you prove it to me, unless Jesus actually shows up, unless he engages my sentences in a way that is incontrovertible. I will not believe believe. Thomas takes off at first, right? And I think Thomas gets a bad rap. If you actually back up, there's there's three instances in John's gospel um, where we we see the progression, the experience of Thomas. The first is in John 11, the second is in John 14, and then in John 20. In John 11, um, Jesus is invited to come and heal Lazarus, right? A good friend of his, his disciples are in tow and Jesus kind of chills for a bit and says, it won't end in death. It won't end in death. A miracle is going to take place in your midst. And Thomas's response in John chapter 11 is like, cool, let's ride or die with Jesus. That's a paraphrase. Uh, let's, we'll go with you to our deaths even, uh, even if need be. Thomas is convinced. It's that black and white thinking though. He's like, even to death, we ride with Jesus. Okay, so then if we fast forward, skip over to John 14, the miracle has happened, Lazarus is raised, they are like baffled what's going on. And Jesus is starting to communicate, okay, well, here's what this life of faith looks like. It looks like pain and suffering, and actually all of us will suffer and die. I'm going somewhere. In John 14, if you remember the section of scripture, he says, um, in my father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. Now, this isn't uh, necessarily just a, a signal of like the eternal. It's not just a picture of heaven. It's actually a picture of God's kingdom, the family of God expanding here and now. And that where Jesus is heading is not where that they, the religious mind would have ever thought he would. And Thomas dials in here. He asks, he's like, uh, okay, so, huh. Step one in John chapter 11, Lazarus dies and is resurrected. Let's ride or die with Jesus. Step two, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. Thomas asks, well, where are you going? Like, what is going on? This thing feels like it's starting to pull apart. Surely the Lord is good and trustworthy for those who tr put their trust in him. But, but God, where are you? Jesus, where are you going? We don't know. Jesus doesn't chastise him, doesn't make fun of him, uh, doesn't cast judgment on him, uh, just lets the question 
sit like a rabbi would. And then fast forwarding to John chapter 20, where everything seemingly, everything seemingly falls apart. Their Messiah, their Redeemer is crucified on a Roman torture, torture device. It seems like Caiaphas was right this whole time. Uh, the whole thing is over. Um, but then Jesus reappears. He reappears to the women first. It's not how we would write the story. Like, this cannot be true. And then Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. Thomas is not there. Thomas is like, no, I'm, this is, I'm out. Brothers, this is not how it's supposed to go. Unless I experience Jesus personally, I know what you're saying. You feel like you've seen him and heard him. He said, peace to you. Maybe it could be like bad pizza or bad, you know, a gassy Passover meal. Can't be what you're saying though. And then we fast forward a week later. Now think about that. The in-between uh, week, I think John's gospel is signaling the, in the liminal space of like that Saturday, the in-between of like, what is going on? How could this have happened? That Jesus appears to the disciples first. Thomas is not there. And then eight days later, on the day of work, the first day of work, eight days later, uh, Thomas comes back, likely with a head full of um, loss. His, his consciousness, his spirit is rattled and his trust in Jesus isn't really there. It's still, there's a, there's a, there's a remnant, there's a shred of like, okay, I hear what you're saying, guys, like you feel like you've seen Jesus, but unless I see him, unless I uh, experience and touch, touch Jesus with my own eyes, with my own hands, unless I experience and touch Jesus, I'm out, can't do it. He isn't there at first, he needs a minute, but then he shows back up. For the second time he's in the upper room and Jesus, the doors are locked, Jesus appears there in the middle of them. He appears there in the middle of them. And it's brilliant how Jesus responds. That's beautiful too. I think he responds to us in the same way and all these questions and processing that we do when we journey through this life of, of hope and joy and love and doubt and pain and suffering and questions and insecurity. Uh, this is the beauty of Jesus' response. First of all, what does he, he do? He appears. He appears. Uh, he engages their senses right there, in particular with Thomas. But, but notice that Jesus appears. He engages their senses. They see him. He, he speaks. So they see him. They hear him. It's not a ghost. It's not an apparition. He speaks to them. They see him. He speaks to them. They hear him. He welcomes them with the greeting that he was known to use with them. Peace be to you or peace be with you. Peace to you. Peace be with you. It's that signal of like he's appealing to their emotions. He's engaging their heart, not just their mind, not just their eyes and ears, but their, their hearts. Oh my goodness, this is our teacher. This is our Messiah. Could this be the living God? And then I, I imagine him like turning to Thomas, who's probably over in the corner being like, this can't be. What am I seeing right here? What am I seeing right here? He turns to Thomas and invites Thomas to do what? Exactly what Thomas has asked him to do. He invites Thomas to touch. Come here, come, touch, touch, touch the nail marks in my hands. Uh, put your fingers in my side. Feel like the scar tissue that proves not only that the Messiah has suffered for you, but that the Messiah is not dead. This whole landscape has changed. He appears seeing, he speaks hearing, he welcomes emotions, he invites Thomas to touch, he engages all of their senses, and then he engages their communal sense of identity as well. It's amazing. How does Thomas respond? How does Thomas respond? It's beautiful. My Lord and my God, o kyrios mo kai o teos mo. My Lord and my God, brilliant. What a scene. 
what a scene, what a scene for all, certainly Thomas, but also for those, the men and women witnessing that being like, oh my gosh, this is like Caiaphas was wrong. We were wrong to doubt. We were wrong to uh, like think any other way. Oh my goodness, what have we done? And you can imagine how the, the guilt-ridden mind would have engaged, but Jesus isn't done. Jesus isn't done responding to them. I love what he says to them and I've, I've carried it around with me. I'm, I'm somebody that struggles with doubt and I see myself all through this Thomas story being like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, no way, unless I, unless I, then. And I just love how Jesus meets with them, meets with Thomas. What he says at the very end after he invites Thomas to like touch his hands and his side is both amazing and haunting. Here's what he says, Thomas, but probably everybody in the room, Thomas, you, you have faith because you've seen me? Hmm, how blissful those who do not see and still have faith. It's not so good. Thomas, you believe because you've seen me? Which is legit, I mean, of course, you just, I once was dead, no longer, I'm right here. You've touched me, you've faith because you've seen me, but how blissful, how blessed, one translation says, those who do not see, but still have trust, still have relationships, still have faith. Okay, so do you think Thomas or any of the disciples doubted again? Probably. Like, put yourself in those shoes. Maybe not all of us would. Maybe it would be like, no, that's all I needed. That settles it. I'm convinced. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, ride or die with Jesus, no matter what. I feel like for myself, I'd be like, oh man, absolutely, I believe. And then like an hour or a few days or a week or a month later, I'd be like, what did I, what did I see? That, huh? What did it, did I see, huh, huh? And we see that the witness of the early church is that they did this together, that they like answered and asked and processed together. They stayed together. And this is Jesus like appealing to the communal body of Christ, the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, that, that are go going to take um, this, this mission movement, the kingdom of God forward. But did Thomas doubt again? Did any of them? Probably, but they stayed on the journey. We see that Thomas, even after a week, he wasn't there at first, but he showed back up and probably kept showing back up. He did. Isn't this an amazing story? There's so, the, the depth, the richness of scripture that speaks to our own experience thousands of years uh, later. I think there's some pins that we can put in the map um, here as we read through the story. First of all, Faith does not always equal dogma. Faith should not always lead to and does not always equate dogma, the data-based sets of principles that lead towards belief. Sometimes that's true, but not always. Faith does not always equal dogma. Faith also does not always equal doctrine. I mean, think about Caiaphas. Caiaphas had his doctrinal statements, his uh, affirmations, locked, on lock, and yet he was not able to, or not willing to, or not open to trusting in the savior of the world, the Messiah right in front of him. Faith does not always equal doctrine, and faith uh, almost never equals destination. I think it's helpful to think about it in the positive. I think faith is foundation. Faith is foundation. Faithing, relationshiping with God is the foundation, is the level set of who we are, how we are, and how we interact with the divine and how we interact with the spirit of God, the divine spirit in the world and that lives in us and how we follow Jesus. Faith is foundation, faith is process, and faith is always communal. So faith is foundation. Um, 
this is a marked difference of how Jesus taught and embodied uh, who and how God is, that faith is relational. It's relationship with God. It's not just Bible reading or trying to keep attuned to and obedient to the law, although that's certainly part of it in the Jewish consciousness. There are things that you need to do, but, but it's predicated on trust, that there is somebody on the other side of this relationship that is trustworthy. Surely the Lord is good and faithful. His promises and love endure forever. That's the foundation. But faith is also process. Faith is a, this, we, we do this as we go. It, it evolves. It's not just like, um, faith is not the starting line of a marathon. It's like, it is the marathon itself. It's the journey towards, it's the lifelong um, affirmation and connection with God and with other brothers and sisters as we mimic as we embody Jesus in our own lives and to, to those around us. Now, for some of us, faith is, is a destination. Like for some of us, faith is like, you cross the line of faith at a particular age when you were like little or when you were in your teenage years, like on the stairwell of a church and you professed belief in Jesus. And that is legit, that's wonderful. And maybe for you, you're one of those like rock steady folks who's like, yeah, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus and my heart is still his. I'm still faithful. Certainly there's been some rocky bits and um, some bumps in the road, but by and large, Jimmy, I'm, I'm here with Jesus, I'm staying with Jesus. And that is amazing, amazing. That was the start of the journey. And we need you for those of us that struggle with doubt, for lots of us, it's like, well, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't really have that moment. Like uh, I got saved a number of times growing up at youth rallies or kids conferences or whatever, but like, what was the moment? I don't know, I'm still kind of in the moment in process. And that's legit, faith is process. Faith is the journey as we go together, loving God and loving each other, following Jesus and inviting others to follow Jesus because it, it, it is the best way to live. It's how we were built. And then faith is always, always, communal. We need Jesus and we need each other on this journey. Walking in trust and doubt together, coming to the upper room and being like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But also having brothers and sisters around being like, yeah, but we're here with you. And so is Jesus. Walking in trust and doubt together. Faith is foundation. Faith is process. And faith is always communal. All right. As we wrap up here, I want to give us two things to receive and respond with. First of all, if you're somebody who's investigating faith, whether you're dialing in live right here with the live stream or you're listening a little bit later, maybe you're at the gym or you're out for a walk and you know you're like, I, I just have so wrestled with doubt. I struggle with faith. Uh, there's times where it makes sense and there's times where it doesn't. I just don't know what to do. If you're somebody who's investigating faith or struggling with doubt and you showed up here today or you're listening in today, check mark. You did it. You showed up. You are on the journey. You're processing faithfully and honestly. And that's incredibly difficult, but also incredibly brave. You showed up. Check. You did it. Right now, there's nothing else that you need to do. We see you as a, as a church family, a faith community that wants to be more like Jesus and invite people to be more like Jesus. We see you. We want you to help. We love that you're here checking us out, that you showed up. You're knocking and seeking and asking. And Jesus says, just like in this discourse in John chapter 20, that's what counts. Check. You did it. We see you. Please keep going. Don't give up. Keep showing up. Don't give up. 
So for the doubters, we're just so glad that you're here with us. You did it, you showed up, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Or if you're somebody who's just like rock solid with Jesus, you've been part of your journey with God for like a long time, you love Jesus, uh, you're faithful and steady with Jesus in your journey of faith, uh, I would invite you to take a look around at who else has shown up. Maybe it's there in the chat, somebody's asking questions. Maybe it's in your own life where God is attuning your mind to like, who is the Thomas that's showing up but that is struggling? Those brothers and sisters who are right there in the middle of the Thomas question, unless I see or experience or hear or feel the presence of Jesus, I will not believe. And you're the hands and feet to connect with, to ask and help and hug and hear them and stick around with them for the journey to struggle alongside in faith relationship alongside. If you're one of those like rock steady uh, bastions of faith consistent in your walk with Jesus, just please show up. Please keep showing up. Show up for brothers and sisters like me and like others who are likely uh, dialing in, who are wrestling. Keep noticing who has shown up. Be someone to struggle with and alongside, to faith with and alongside. I love that the Bible, that the New Testament includes this example of people who wrestle, of even a close follower of Jesus who wrestles, and that Jesus and his gentleness engages the whole person and says, keep going, peace be with you. Um, you believe because you've seen me, but how blissful, how blessed are you who continue to faith, who continue to be faithing uh, and journeying along the way, but haven't seen in the same way. And that's us, that's us. As we move towards a close here, I want to give a blessing and a benediction out of one of my favorite uh, books. I, I tend to be up earlier in the morning uh, and have uh, some spiritual disciplines. And this book, uh, Prayers for the People, The Things We Didn't Know We Could Say to God by Terry J. Stokes has, has really interrupted, has, well, it hasn't interrupted at all. It's been just such a gift, a godsend, literally to me. It's a little book of devotional thoughts and prayers, really, of things we didn't know we could say to God. So I've been reading it, and this week I read uh, this, and I think it's just such a fitting way to end our time here and our conversation, uh, and it'll be our benediction. So here we go. Prayers for the people, things we didn't know we could say to God, and the title of this is For Those That Wrestle. For Those That Wrestle. O oh God, who speaks out of the whirlwind, heal our limbs which have been ripped apart by the strain between our knowledge of your character and our perception of your action or your perceived inaction in the world. You've given us faith to seek understanding, so help us to integrate what we know to be true with what is happening in front of us. Bring us friends who tag in when we can't wrestle with you any longer. And when our wrestling leaves us with a limp, leave us also with a new identity and a new understanding of the ongoing presence of Jesus who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And together we all said, Amen. Amen. Peace be with you.